Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good, uh, good evening and welcome to our last Huddy Hui for 2022. And what a way to finish off. We've got a real legend of Rugby Sevens. And his name is very synonymous with the game. Sir Gordon Titchens is our guest on the Hui tonight. Titch, many thanks for coming on the Huddy Hui. Um, your thoughts on the Hong Kong Sevens uh, last weekend, the first time in about two years it's been on. Um, were you surprised by how New Zealand uh, finished up, in particular the match against your Samoan team? Uh, yeah, I um, obviously disappointing that we, um, for the first time ever, we didn't hit a at the Cup Championship in the quarterfinal. So effectively, on day two, you just can't win the Hong Kong Sevens. And, and I suppose if I go right back to when my career started, that was my very, very first tournament, was one tournament a year was the Hong Kong Sevens, and that was the tournament that we we all wanted to win. And, and probably uh, the one that I love the most, if I was to be honest. Um, so to see the guys not obviously get put out, and, and a pretty tough draw, to be fair, um, with Samoa, Australia, and themselves, one of them had to fall, and unfortunately, it was us. And uh, but again, um, Hong Kong also produces surprises, you know. And uh, and we saw Australia beat Fiji in the final, who were looking to win their their sixth Hong Kong in a row. And you mentioned that was your first ever tournament going back to 1983. You played for the New Zealand uh, oh, sevens team. Played, yeah, played for them in '83, and we lost. Yeah. To- Lost to Samar in the quarterfinals, so yeah. um, I mean, but always remember scoring a try. So how's that? So, but um, but my first time there as the All Black Sevens coach was in '94. '94. Yeah, that we introduced Jonah as an 18 year old. You know, we had a pretty good side, and uh, we, you know, we beat. I remember beating Fiji in the semis, and we beat Australia. You know, had some some very good players at that time in the final. Three weeks ago, I met you at the tournament that's named after yourself, the Sir Gordon Titchens Sevens Tournament, played out at Palmerston North. How did that idea come around with you you being given the naming rights for that tournament? Yeah, well, John Kendall at that time was uh, was one of the teachers at Palmerston North Boys High and was really looking to promote the game of Sevens. And and I took my team there when I was coaching the All Black Sevens. We used to assemble uh, many times in Palmerston North and I took them to the school and... Um, Obviously, my relationship with John, I, I coached him when he was a player for the Papua Steamers, and and it sort of built from there. And um, he put this idea, this idea together. You know, would you mind if we named a sevens tournament after yourself? And uh, it was pretty humbling to to be asked that question. And and of course, I said yeah. And for you know, unfortunately, really, in some ways, it's the first year that I've ever been able to attend it. I've generally had to send someone on my behalf. So. You know, it was really exciting to be there, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I was actually, uh, it's not being disrespectful, but it was certainly a lot more competitive than I thought. I, I was a little bit in the, in the dark going into the tournament, but boy, she was pretty competitive and some very good sides there, and some potentially some very good players. You mentioned that you played your rugby for uh, Bay of Plenty. Let's tell us about your rugby career. Where did it all begin for you, and what position did you play? 
Well, I suppose the game as a rugby started for me as a five-year-old, um, playing on on Frosts and Rotorua for St Michael's, and you know I, I just loved rugby, loved sport in general, I suppose, and then went right through and made some younger rep teams coming through. And first fifteen, I was the first five eight for Rotorua Boys High. I was a ten, and a fifteen, I kicked goals. <laughs> so hacker at that time, and. And then I played my first senior game as an 18-year-old and I decided I wanted to move from being a 10 or a fullback to, to be a flanker um, and a number eight. So that was where I went and that's where I stayed. And, and of course, I made the Bay Plenty side as an 18-year-old and played three games and went off to the UK and played for London Welsh. And I really enjoyed it over there. That's where I first learned about sevens. And then um, coming back, played for Bay Plenty, went on to play 86 games for the Bay and and had a season for Waikato under George Simcoe and uh, played played 14 games and we toured Australia in 83. Um, lucky enough to play a number of internationals. The game I probably remember the most was um, the player of the day against South Africa for Bay of Plenty. We just lost to them, I think, about 26, 24 in 1981 in that infamous tour, I suppose, of New Zealand. And... Never forget that game, and I've played against Australia. And that was probably the, the most pleasing result because Australia were touring New Zealand, hadn't been beaten. They the David Campeses and the, the Chris Roaches and all those types of players. And um, we beat them 40 points to 16. Ooh. And the previous weekend in provincial rugby, we'd been beaten by the Thames Valley. So how's that? Swamp Foxes beat us. Yeah. <laughs> Graham Crossman is the coach. He said, well, there's... There's really no sense in getting together the night before this particular international, which was um, quite um, out of the norm because you always assembled the night before an international. This particular time we didn't. They had no confidence in us. We so <laughs> we assembled on the morning of the game and um, we basically said, let's just run it from anywhere. And it was one of those games that everything ticked. And we beat South Africa 40 points to 16. And so that was a game I'll never forget. And... Um, then I managed to play for the, against the Lions in, in 83 when they toured New Zealand for Waikato and Japan. And so, and I played for Fiji against Fiji over in Fiji. So, had a few international games that I can still remember. And um, and then, of course, after I, I finished playing, I I um, got into the coaching game. And my first year of coaching was coaching the Barpani Colts team, the Barpani out of 21s. And then from then on, I went to, to coach the Barpani Steamers. And I was coaching the All Black Sevens at that particular time from 94 onwards. And then I made a decision that I I couldn't, uh, you know, stay coaching the Steamers as coaching Bay of Plenty. So I elected to pull out all the 15s and just co- concentrate and focus just purely on Sevens. And that's where I stayed. And, um, and that's probably the uh, the best decision I ever made, really, to be fair. When you came onto the scene as the head coach of New Zealand Sevens team, you were in charge for 22 years. Tell us about that first season you took over the New Zealand Sevens team and what was it like? Yeah, I, I suppose I was, um, uh, yeah, what is it? Oh, going in, I was a little bit, I suppose, not so much scared. I was apprehensive, really. I suppose, um, you know, I was looked up to these Eric Rushes and the Dallas Seymours and the Glenn Osborns and those types of players at that particular time who were very, very good sevens players. And uh, and here I am, I was only 36, I think, years of age, and I'm coaching these guys. And um, so for me, it was really uh, a, a massive step up 
um, to go into a, a team coaching your national team to go to Hong Kong. And uh, but I was really, really lucky to, and fortunate to to work with Eric Rush, who was a wonderful captain. Um, so of course, with Rushy, um, I, I put all these new new protocols in place. I was, I was pretty strict around what I wanted. Um, <laughs> not only in training, but also in nutrition. And they had to make some big changes. And um, I, I put a lot of work into to, um, putting a lot of grids together that I felt were uh, special to the game of sevens um, that basically uh, uh, replicated what I wanted on the sevens field. And, um, and with that, um, obviously, fitness has always been a big, big part of my my growing up as a as an athlete when I played, and I expected that from my players. So I, I certainly was very very firm in what my expectations were around fitness and conditioning. And um, and of course, I felt at that time also that I thought sevens was a specialist game that um, you just couldn't be a good fifteens player and and automatically be a good sevens player because it didn't work that way. And I suppose the met the biggest challenge that I had was when I named my team for Hong Kong. And I came from the Bay of Plenty and I named Martin Jones from Bay of Plenty, Joey Taiwi from Bay of Plenty and Peter Woods from Bay of Plenty. You know? And um, I suppose I was going to always get a little bit of criticism because, but I felt they were seven specialists. And mm -hmm. and here I was naming a Joey Taiwi ahead of uh, Graham Basher, who was the all-black halfback. Mm -hmm. But Joey Taiwi was a tremendous sevens player. He had all his skill sets. And of course, um, we won Hong Kong 94, 95, 96 with all those players. So so it justified, I suppose, uh, that's what I had to do. Those guys were, I mean, it was um, it was in the, in the media, who are these three guys, and they were all new, but they were very, very good sevens players and, and played a number of games for New Zealand by the time um, they'd finished, uh, finished their time with the All Black Sevens team. So, yeah, those were the challenges, but I came out of it on top in some ways because mm -hmm. we won Hong Kong. And 94, 95, of course, was the Christian Cullen's first year. Mm. I'll never forget that because he played one game against Chinese Taipei, scored the very first try, and that was his game for the tournament. He just sat on the bench and watched everyone else. And, and of course, in the next year, in 96, he was the superstar, mm. the guy that scored 18 tries in Hong Kong alone. And uh, for those people that can remember that, that wonderful game against Fiji in the final where he was mm. running across the goal mouth and came out through the goalposts and put Waisaki Mazarewa away for a, a try that, you know, a lot of people will remember forever. So so that was those, those three special years that, you know, my first three years. And, of course, um, then 96 was, um, of course, was our first Rugby World Cup, you know, and uh, we lost. We got beaten in that, but it was uh, pretty tough. We lost to, uh, I think it was South Africa. In the semis, and uh, but we then went on after a while to win a World Cup and win some Commonwealth game gold medals and and some and a lot of World Series, which was uh, obviously being that successful. I suppose um, I owed so much to the to the players that were around me, and I suppose the biggest challenges I had at that particular time was I was the only selector at that particular time, so I covered the country to to find the best players I had because. Sevens dropped in terms of their recognition, in terms of um, uh, there used to be a priority, I suppose. We had a preference, but that fell away once Super Rugby got underway. So therefore, if you were the All Black Sevens coach, um, you had to wait till the All Blacks were named. You had to wait yeah. till the Rugby teams for squads were named. 
you didn't wait for the New Zealand Maoris to get named, then you waited for the New Zealand under-21s to get named, and then you had what was left after that. So there were some big, big challenges around selection, but that was what I felt I was pretty good at, you know, to, to find the players out there that, that could really get out and deliver the goods for you that weren't uh, being utilised by the, the bigger teams, if you like. Eric Grush, you mentioned, of course, you have a lot of time for him. Tell us about his leadership in those early days of the Sevens team because uh, his influence has uh, carried over over the years to come. Yeah, well, he he commanded a huge amount of respect because when I took over the team in 94, it's always about creating a culture first and foremost and uh, and you need someone to lead that as well. And, and of course, um, and it always comes from the top and I... Eric Rush was a big, a massive part of that. Because why? Because he was inspirational. He commanded so much respect and uh, and he worked particularly hard. And he was one of the players that, and I say worked, at 39 years of age, he was still playing for the All Black Sevens team and, and still right up there in the conditioning stage with all the other players. So, yeah, but just his mana, you know, and, and what he... And, and what the jersey meant to him, even though he was a, a fully-fledged All Black as well, you know, an all-back winger, but he loved the game of sevens. And and even, you know, we had just recently, you know, we had a reunion uh, before they went off to the Olympics a little while ago. And, and of course, um, when all the players met, all the past players and present were there, it was like they'd never ever left, you know. And then that's, those are the memories that you'll always retain and, mm. and the games and what they got up to. And there was a lot of stuff that they got up to that I had no idea, even though I was the coach, you know, so... <laughs> It all came out on this particular evening, so it was a lot of fun. But one thing that they did, all these players, when I was coaching the team, they um, they always empty the tank for you, you know, and because they just loved the environment of of what we brought to the to the table in terms of our culture. Jonah loved the sevens environment. He mm. would come back any day of the week to play sevens, and and it have to be honest, he always played well for the All Blacks if he came out of a sevens camp because yeah. he was always. He was sharper, and for someone as 118 kgs when he started with me, 18 years of age, and yeah. 1.51 over standing 10, incredibly, incredible with a step and everything. So, and he never. It's funny when we talk about Jonah, he never once lost the New Black Sevens jersey. Mm. He won obviously a gold medal in Kuala Lumpur in '98. He won a World Cup in 2000, and and. and um, in uh, Europe, uh, sorry, it's in uh, Maro Plata in yeah. South America. He won um, Hong Kong Sevens in three in those three years, 94, 95, and 96. So uh, in, incredible, really. And uh, it's a, a record that can never be matched. And it was just huge. And he sometimes, at the odd time, he was, he was released from the All Blacks to come to a couple of tournaments for the All Blacks. And uh, we always won when he was there as well. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Never forget those those memories and, and what he gave to the team because it was just simply, simply outstanding. You mentioned the World Cup in uh, 2001 and Eric Rush uh, went down with a broken leg. And that yeah. final, was that considered, you, you would probably consider to be one of John Alumu's great games representing New Zealand? Oh, yeah, those can remember him running over uh, the guy Cat in the World Cup for mm. the All Blacks. You can always remember that. Well, he did similar that to, <laughs> to them in the, <laughs> the final. I, I mean... You know, when any player left the All Black Sevens environment for whatever reason, in this case, Rushy had broken his leg, they always had to perform a haka before they boarded the bus or the taxi to go out to the airport mm. to fly home. And, and in Rushy's case, he had to fly home. 
it was quite a it was quite a serious break, and he couldn't stay back for the the day of the final, which was so leaving the the morning of our final our semi quarterfinal against Argentina. Jonah led this hacker in the foyer, you know, because Russia's on crutches or a wheelchair, and uh, it was so inspirational. He was my team talk going into the last three games to to win our first ever Rugby World Cup, and never forget that. But it was just the the emotion you know, with uh, all the players uh, led by Jonah at that particular time, which basically said everything. And uh, obviously, to me, it, it was a big part of us going on to, to win that cup. You won uh, 12 World Series on the um, HSBC World Series circuit. What was your best victory as coach? On the circuit? Um, you always remember your first, funny enough, you know, your first World Series. And, and here we were and we, if Fiji had won their quarterfinal, they'd won the World Series. That's how close it was. Fiji lost to Argentina in the quarterfinal. Never forget it. So then word got back that Fiji had lost. So if we won our next three games, it was in France, that we'd win our first ever. And that was how we won our first ever uh, World Series. So that's probably one that you'll you'll never forget. Games, if I looked over my career, um, the one I suppose the most satisfying for me was our convincing victory in 2013 to win our rugby, um, the World Cup mm. over Russia, where we smashed England by 40 odd points. It was a, an incredible victory. You know, we played so, so well. And uh, they were coached at that particular time by Ben Ryan, because mm. he coached Fiji. But, uh, but I'll never forget that, that victory. And uh, I had a very good side as well. Um, I think, you know, Commonwealth Games, uh, for yep. me, um, one thing you never forget, and you, and when you see a player up in the dais being presented with a gold medal to the tune of the anthem, to the raising of the flag, there's nothing better than that. And to have that happen four times is a pretty amazing. But it's not about that. Yeah, yeah sitting back and you go, here, yeah, it's such a proud moment, but it's, it's when you reflect back, it's all the hard work that's gone into, it's not about one tournament, you know, it's about all the work that's gone in behind the scenes through all the management, through the conditioning trainers, through the coaches and that, to get us to that point to to actually perform on the world stage. And that to me is, is was quite special. And I'll never replace those victories. It's like a World Cup holding it up. But, you know, it's just all the work that's gone into actually achieve that success. Of course, um, for a long time, there was a certain uh, circuit on that rivaled the Hong Kong Sevens, and that was the Wellington Sevens. For well over a decade, that rivaled Hong Kong, and it was up there as one of the go-to tickets. Um, what do you think resulted in the decline of the Wellington Sevens, and can it return? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, people just couldn't get tickets to the, Hong Kong, to the Wellington Sevens. Mm. I mean, it was New Zealand. I remember the first three years I could have the cream of the crop really I could have the, the Christian Cullens and that but that particular time because they hadn't been playing sevens they would generally come off the bench yeah. you know, because they weren't sevens conditioned and people used to look at me quite strangely or the papers would climb into me and why is it just not starting Cullen and, but it takes you so long to get back into the game and we didn't win Hong Kong for those first three or four years in Wellington mm-hmm. oh, sorry we didn't win Wellington in those first three or four years you know, but once we started winning it, we were the most successful team in Wellington. 
you know, we um, we obviously the the pressure, the extra added pressure was always tough, and but it attracted the crowds, you know, and uh, just uh, people dressed up, uh, just a, a great week, Wellington Cup week, same time. It was just a massive week, and people come from anywhere and everywhere to go to the Wellington Sevens, you know, just getting tickets. I don't, I can't remember how many tickets I was trying to organise for people. I just <laughs> phone calls, emails, just all right through the country. Can I get tickets? Can I get tickets? And it stayed that way in Wellington. Then, of course, mm. they – and, um, yeah, Hamilton, um, probably um, it's going to take a while to match Wellington, to be fair. I, yeah. I feel it's the ideal city for the for the New Zealand Sevens tournament. I uh, not being disrespectful to Hamilton, Auckland, mm. or wherever, but I still believe it's the the best place, the best um, ground. Uh, everything's so close, and uh, obviously, um, but they had made those changes. I moved it to Hamilton now, and I've been to the Hamilton tournament there a couple of times. Um, but it's still a not not anywhere near as supported as it, what Wellington was. Mm. Um, it's dropped off um, in terms of the numbers that go there, but there's still a, a good atmosphere because New Zealand's playing. Your training sessions are well known to be brutal and legendary. Um, can you describe one of those training sessions for us? And I believe that in 2011, you punished the All Blacks. Oh, yeah, I trained the All Blacks in 2011 uh, and I was asked by Graham Henry and with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, at that time, would I put the um, the loose boards in the backs through a, a sevens training session, if you like. And, I'll just um, excuse you there, Gordon. You just got your hand on the camera. So there you go. Right. That's right. Yep. Sorry. I, yeah, I could put the, um, the All Blacks through a a sevens training session as I would with my with my players I suppose uh, just give me what you do with them just give it to my players and it was a real challenge because I I, I suppose I challenged them um, mentally uh, because I had them fatigued at times and then mm. with fatigue comes a uh, well you hope accurate decision making and um, and in some cases for some players that weren't at the levels they needed to be the decision making wasn't the best because that's where you're challenged you know, in big moments, you know, and we hold hold the ball on for numbers of phases. And I always remember Sitabini Sibiatu. You know, he got the ball in a, a four-on-two situation, I suppose it was, and he took it into contact. I remember blowing the whistle and say, stop. <laughs> Put the ball back in Sithi's hands and said, look, read the picture. And he knew what I was saying. It was a four-on-two and he took it into contact. But uh, he was out of oxygen. He was just... He was just <laughs> It was, it was gone, you know. So, 
And, and I suppose a normal training session, we would always test. We'd do big tests, speed tests, decrement phosphate tests, which was 10, 30-meter sprints with 30-second recoveries at the fastest as you could. And, and then uh, that was all in the, you know, we'd start with the, the speed. We'd then do a decrement phosphate test, and then we'd do the big test. And then we'd go and train. You know, we'd spend another 30 minutes doing a, uh, on the field doing some drills. And, and uh, that was just the start of our, our camp week when we assembled because we were never centralised then. So mm. the players were all coming from wherever. I needed to test them. I needed to know the levels what they're at. And away we went. And the players never shirked it. Mm. Believe it or not, um, I always felt as a team we were connected through hard work. And it unified the team. That was who we were. That was the All Black Sevens team. And the, the number of tournaments, I believe, that we won in the last play of the games was yeah. incredible. And I, I I certainly put that down to the conditioning levels of the players that I had at that particular time. Food and attrition, you mentioned before, you were very tough on. Uh, did the players ever try and sneak around your oh, uh, yeah, conditions? <laughs> yeah. I caught Carl Tanana with all his popcorn stuffed up his bloody hoodie <laughs> in Fiji, you know, and that. I was, you know, it was quite, but I mean, you look at the fun times when, when that sort of thing happened, but, but I, I mean, I, um, I probably had the philosophy in the end was, mate, if you think you deserve an ice cream, have an ice cream. But unfortunately the, the players that shouldn't be having the ice creams were yeah. <laughs> served an ice cream, you know? So, but no, I, I, um, I, I, I'm a real believer that nutrition played a massive part in the success of our teams because it, 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 what it drove was consistency in the team because if I knew that everyone had been eating the right types of foods, whether it be at breakfast, whether it be during the tournament, you know, post-games, and uh, that they were eating the right foods. We had great nutritionists within the New Zealand Union as well, mm. and, um, and they backed me up 200% on what I believed in. That was one of the very first things I did. I, I met Jenny Pierce when I first was appointed in 94 and, and I talked to her about the importance of nutrition and, and she was fantastic. She gave me every bit of advice and, uh, and for the way to get the best out of the team. And the, I talk about players making sacrifices, but I don't really, I don't really say it's a sacrifice, it's a choice. Mm. You know, we, you know it's, a, it's a choice. If you want to be the best you can be, and get out and perform, um, you know, with a consistency and have the energy levels, not be listless, lethargic, lack energy, then you'll go a long way. And I, I applied that in a team sense. And uh, we were very, very good. Our players, uh, to be fair, on the World Series, every venue that we went to uh, early, not, not so much earlier on, but later on, the food was fantastic. Mm. And like at a Com Games, you knew every of the ingredients or whatever serving there was wherever you went into the food halls you know so you knew how much carbohydrate how much fat how much protein it was all there in front of you to read so players you know they when they were picking out their selecting their food they were they'd been pretty i suppose they'd been they had so much so many lessons around nutrition and what was right and what was wrong for you so um you just trusted that they they um they eat the right food, and I, to, as I said, it played a big part of our success. Described as the greatest sevens coach of all time, um, how has your coaching influenced others coaches on the world circuit? <laughs> Say that again. Say that again. Um, how have other co- how how has your uh, coaching influenced others that have uh, inspired well, by you? Yeah, well, 
it's funny because um, we used to be the, I mean, when I was playing, I always remember I was a reserve one day for Waikato in Manawatu and I was a reserve in the morning and I, I thought I got up, I didn't feel too well, so I went for a run. And I went for a run and I down to a ground and just did some, you know, just some straight outs and real good wake up, bit of a sweat up, went back. And funny enough, two minutes into the game, one of the flankers got injured, I was on. And I felt like I could run all day. So that from that time on, before any game I was playing, I would go out and run in the mornings, go for runs in the morning, come back, generate an appetite, have a good breakfast. And and because when I went to the ground to play my club game or provincial game, I'd already woken the body up. I'd already been out for a run. I felt a million dollars. So that was my mindset going into tournaments. So if we had our first game at 11 o'clock, I wanted my players to have a, a blowout at 8 o'clock, stride outs and everything, whether it be at the hotel or at a ground going to the um, going to the actual ground. So we used to have players and teams standing back and what's well, look at New Zealand, you know, without <laughs> like but every time we played our first game, it was like it was our second game. You know, we we were so team. It was too late. The other teams that we'd won the game in the first half. So mm-hmm. believe it or not, after a couple of years, everyone started doing it, and <laughs> everyone does it now. You know, and um, I suppose they they learn a lot from us. I caught a, mm-hmm. a um, con- two conditioning coaches from the England team up on in Manchester, up on a up on a um, a roof, videoing our training in a grandstand. Mm-hmm. Um, caught some some on conditioning trainers and video analysis, video our trainings behind the hedges, and because at that time we were winning everything. Yeah, you know we and um, people were trying to, I suppose, look into what we did so well and, and why are we so good, and so therefore, you know, as I said, we exposed a couple of teams trying to work out what we were doing and we were doing it. So, so it's uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I suppose they learned a lot. They learned about nutrition. Yeah, a lot of teams were quite really slack around nutrition. They'd be eating all the wrong types of foods. Yeah. Even though some of these venues, they had them out, you know, and especially in the States when we first went there, there was hot dogs and, you know, sausages. Oh, you know, like it's, but the food they had was all fried. It was terrible to start. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then World Rugby then got some nutritionists and, and put them on board and, and then it started taking off in, in a better way than what it used to be, certainly from the start. And, of course, uh, the Sevens now, the multiple teams can win any competition now. And, of course, it became an Olympic sport. Do you think in 2016 a lot of teams had caught up by then when you went to Rio? Oh, yeah. Oh, they definitely. I mean, in 2015, I went to I flew to New Zealand Rugby and said that we needed to centralise. I could sense they were catching up. Yeah. You know, when South Africa were in, they used to assemble as Stellenbosch. They were in uh, Stellenbosch as a team then before us. Australia were in Sydney. They were there. They were getting better. Um, the English team were basically centralised around London. They were in camps. They were training. So why my thoughts to, to New Zealand were we need to centralise. Because uh, if I was a super rugby player and, and I lived in Mount Monganui and I made the Highlanders, I couldn't live in Mount Monganui and still play for the Highlanders. I had to uh, yeah. move to Dunedin and... And this is, um, but the mindset at that particular time, and yeah, why do we have to centralise? We're winning, aren't we? You know, and that to me was, um, uh, I could, it was just quite evident. Mm. Oop, just uh, lost Gordon's audio there. So, um, what's happened here? I can hear you now, Gordon, just can't see it. 
Oh, can you hear me okay? Um, yeah, I can hear you okay. If you can just uh, keep talking, it'll be all good. Okay. Yeah, I yep. don't know why. It's just gone bang on me. I don't know why. So, yeah. oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. Good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, obviously, that was, uh, and if I reflect back on like the girls now, you know, with uh, World Rugby, uh, how our girls are going so well in the, in the World Cup. I mean, um, they'd won previous World Cups and, and I didn't feel it. The New Zealand Rugby Unit were investing in women's rugby and mm. I suppose they had the same mindset as what they had with the Sevens team while we're winning and because they had the English team and the, the French team went away and appointed, I suppose, professional rugby players um, and put a lot of emphasis into, mm. into being the best and, and then we got exposed when we were on that, that tour of the Southern Hemisphere last year or two years ago and and now we're just getting back on track again and, and being the team we could be. And But it was a real wake-up call in sevens and also because we're now centralised in sevens mm. and also for fifteens. And I think um, the rugby union appointing Wayne Smith and Graham Henry for those roles to get those girls up to where they need to be it was, was yeah. a magnificent appointment. And um, aren't they playing well? It's fantastic. Leadership and values um, are very much part of your coaching career um what have you what what advice would you pass on to those that are playing rugby sevens and those outside of rugby yeah well like you know like i i'm a real believer i've always been a coach that i've been after a, you need to be a team player with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, I've always, I've always maintained that. I always just said about any of my teams is always seven captains. I'm always a believer that when I'm looking to select players and, and you've got sometimes you've got players equal in ability, I always look at the character because with character, they're very, very coachable, which is a, which is a huge ingredient. And, and I've always said that a big part of my culture is based on traditional values, honesty, respect, humility, discipline, good leadership. And those are the qualities that we need, you know, with the players that we have because players in the certainly in the sevens game they have to basically it's like signing a dotted line and signing a contract you've got to be totally committed and be prepared to to work very very hard to achieve success and and if you want to use utilize sevens to be that pathway to going on to uh to being successful you know and uh i mean every player certainly has an aspiration has a goal and like at that seven tournament, I think I named Fletcher Carpenter, I think, uh, yeah. is the player of the tournament. He's a young player, quite small in stature, but potentially could be the ideal sevens player. That could really see the Olympics as a as a long-term goal. You know, so so I think even now he's got all the qualities to, to make it to there, you know, and also then later on perhaps make the steps up to, to the 15s game. But and that's the that's the but that's the commitment those players have to make and have to you know you can't go in with two minds and think it's going to be easy because it's not. I think it you know um, commitment is all about achievement 
if you commit yourselves, you go on to to achieve and then to to become very successful. But it's a hard grind, but it's an enjoyment one. If yeah, but there's no shortcuts, and that's the and that's the key. It's about a lot of hard work, and um, it's funny. I, I've always used a, a philosophy that I, I loved. That was probably the most enjoyable aspect of my coaching career was when I saw some of those sevens players go on and make it into the All Blacks. And even now, if you look at the Rico Ioannis, the Kira Ioannis, the Artie Savias, who all played wonderful for the sevens, I get a real buzz. And I probably got a bigger buzz at them making the All Blacks than actually winning the tournament. Yeah. And so pleasing. And and the number of for those players that have come back to you and thanked you for your input or helping them get to where they've got to, which is, uh, you know, it's pretty pleasing when that happens. What advice would you give to a young player finishing school and uh, that are thinking of going on a sevens career? Basically, what I just just indicated: just yeah. be be prepared to to work particularly hard, you know. But don't go in. I think where they they there's some provinces and some people out there that'll that'll try and steer them away from sevens mm. um, for whatever reason. But I, I'm a real, real believer now. Your skill sets have to be right up there, identifying space, reading the pictures, and sevens can give you that, you know. And um, so, and knowing you're coming in to the sevens environment, you're going to be, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be challenged, and you will work very, very hard. You're quite easily exposed on a sevens field. You get challenged defensively with your attacking nous as well, but it's such a a great game to play and particularly youngsters that have the attributes with some great skill sets. Sometimes you'd never even know how quick a player really was. You'll see it in the sevens game, yeah. but you might never see it in the 15s games because our game is driven by defense. So, so the key for me is, is um, for a sevens player to say, Oh, you know, I'm going to, I've got to make all these sacrifices. Not you've made a choice. And when you make that choice, you wholeheartedly, You've got to put everything into it to be successful. And I think um, that's my advice. Just don't go in two minds. Do I play 15? Look, commit yourself to one. And if you commit yourself to sevens, be prepared to to work particularly hard. And uh, and what I will say is through my training, she used to be harder than any game mm. they'd play. So the games were easy. So it's getting, as I said, that that hard work. We were connected through hard work. And it's like, a, it's like us. If we go out for a run and we come back with, Sweated profusely, feel a million dollars. That's how I want you to feel, and that's how you feel in the in the All Black Seven team when you've gone come through out of on the back out of the of those hard trainings. <laughs> <laughs> down here, down here in Wellington, particularly this year in our secondary school comps and in um, our Wellington Sevens, we've had a drop away in teams. Um, what do you think could possibly change or get the motivation for numbers to come back into tournaments down this way? I think there's so much on sometimes. And yeah. I mean, the, the biggest drive around, I think, being successful at club levels and, and getting the clubs up is the people at the top, when you, when you name your coaches and your assistant coaches and your managers, it's being really going out to the players and, and being really well organised and structured around your trainings, you know, everything, doesn't matter what, whether it's from the, the apparel side of it, just the organisational side, having good good conditioning trainers, having good physios and being so well organised, then you'll easily put together very, very good teams. And I think that is the real key. When you think, and you're going to use sevens just as a, as a game to get fit for 15s, 
then some will turn up to training, some won't. So you're going yeah. in half-heartedly into some tournaments. And in some cases, you haven't even got the numbers. Yeah. So I think to be successful in these sevens tournaments and to drive the teams up, you've got to start a lot earlier, get the squads going, do your pre-season training for, for sevens rugby and, and then attack the tournaments, going there to win them. You know, because yeah. in any one of those tournaments, there's generally a selector around. And New Zealand has a few selectors around the country. Now, it might be just the tournament that you're in and part of that team that, that might put your name out there to be a contender to go and play for the All Black Sevens team. Who knows? Now you've uh, stopped coaching Samoa, what do you do with your time now, uh, Titch? Well, I'm a, I'm a brand ambassador for a sportswear company, Legend Sportswear, and um, the people that own Legend Sportswear are based in, in Adelaide, Australia, and we have a, a factory in Shanghai, so... I'm out there promoting the, the Legend Sportswear. Um, so I'm actually wearing a Legend shirt right this very minute, actually. And uh, it's the, the yeah, that's the, the star right up there, and, and it's going really well. We we produce a lot of really sporting apparel, and um, it's it's going extremely well. A lot of rugby sports clubs are using all our gear, and so I'm spending my time doing that really, and um, and playing a lot of tennis, and uh, which I'm. I play my tennis two or three times a week, which I need to do and I'm pleased about. But then at the same time, I'm out there talking to a lot of people that are involved in a lot of sports. And I go to Palmerston. We supply Palmerston with boys home. Uh, is sporting apparel. Palmerston North Intermediate was sporting apparel, you know, so it's quite good. And going right around the island, I suppose, is in the Bay of Plenty, especially. There's a lot of clubs that are now contracted uh, using all our gear. We'll finish up with this last question. Your greatest New Zealand sevens team of all time and why? Um, if these guys were at their very, very best and I put this team out to, to play, I, it was my dream team when mm. I, I reflect back. And that could have changed in, in a small way, I suppose, with the way players have, have come through now. Like, But at that particular time, up to, to 216, I had um, Eric Rush and Dallas Seymour, who were incredible uh, war horses, I suppose. So, Russia as the leader, Dallas Seymour. We he was nicknamed Nails. He was just mm. like fast, hard, understood the game, and just one of the real unsung heroes of my team. And and my other forward was Liam Messam, mm. who come with game goal medals as well. And and he was good. See, you get it quite easy throwing arty stuff here and there as well. You know, yeah. you Akira Yuani if you wanted to. And then you've got your your um your halfback was your Mossio Balance Rioma. Mm. You know, he won three Commonwealth game gold medals as a 17-year-old was his first in Kuala Lumpur in 98. And then you've got Tomasi Sama, you know, who was <laughs> unbelievably <laughs> good, you know, as well. I mean, um, incredible really. And then you've got Carl Tanana um commentating quite frequently on um on you know the sevens tournaments and also he's a good commentator actually I have to say mm. he, um, he goes very very well and he was a as a, a ten or a first he was fantastic for me really fit also captain my team led them extremely well uh, the midfield was Christian Cullen yeah. uh, without without pair and and of course Joe, the big boy was out in the wing Jonah mm. so that that was the seven but in saying that you know there's a there's a lot of players even Bodine Barrett. Had a few couples mm. in the team, and how good could he have been if he would managed to be given a few more tournaments? Which, mm. which you know, he could have been uh, fantastic. I mean, he would have been no question. Ben Smith won a gold medal in 
in Delhi in 2010. You know, they were all great players within their rights, mm-hmm. but they were only given limited time to play the game. Yeah. You know, so so that team that I gave you, you know, Rush, Seymour, Mesa, yeah. Tanana, Amosio Valtrava, Cullen and Loma was was a would have been a, a tremendous team if they had the rights to go out and, and play as a team. Well, uh, Sir Gordon, it's been fantastic having you on the Huddy Hui and uh, all the best for uh, the rest of the year and hopefully we'll catch up with you uh, later on. Yeah, beauty, Huddy. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So, Sir Gordon Titchens, our guest on the Hui tonight for our final ever episode. Uh, we also like to thank our sponsors uh, for this year, Mike Pinfold Plumbing and Drain Laying and Louise Reddy of NZ Travel Brokers. And hopefully we'll have them back on board again next year as well and just to confirm we'll also be streaming the Wellington Ambassadors Sevens this Saturday at Trent Memorial Park so uh, watch out for that this Saturday um, so we'll be back with the Huddy Hui the week of week one of the Swindale Shield for 2023 we've already got our uh, first guest of the year locked in already can't tell you yet you'll find out in the first week which will mostly be around late March early April so that is the uh, Huddy Hui for 2022 we look forward to being back with you all next year in 2023 otherwise a safe christmas and a happy new year